If you have your Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 10, and let's reread the foundational verses for this series that we are in. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start uh, in verse number 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to assemble together in one place to lift you high and to be encouraged by being in the presence of your spirit and in the presence of our brothers and sisters. God, I pray that as we continue down this road of looking at uh, why we are assembled together as a body of believers, God, I pray that you continue to open our eyes and open our hearts for what you would teach us. God, affect change in, in our lives, individually, but also corporately. And God, we love you, and we are thankful for the words of Hebrews that encourage us and remind us of the importance of being together. God, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's a lot of energy expended getting ready for Sunday morning. In the first service, you have uh, worship leaders and you you have uh, the the people who serve. You have people who arrive early to open doors and turn on lights. In second service, you have a praise team that gets together on Wednesday evening and spends several hours together practicing, learning new songs in a time of worship in and of itself to prepare for Sunday morning. Uh, we, we, we have a tech team that is constantly learning new things and how to better make things sound in and, 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 and here, but also online for those who uh, are still uh, in, in involved from home. A lot of effort goes into choosing the right song or choosing the right scripture or, 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 or taking Psalm 51, for example, uh, and, and changing it into a spoken word to bless a faith family. A lot of work goes into this. And if we're not guilty, if we're not careful, we're guilty of patting ourselves on the back because of what we have done. Did you hear that song? Oh, we did such a good job with that song. Did you see how much money the church brought in? We did such an awesome job by bringing that money in. Did you see that all the, all the spots uh, on the, on the prayer, prayer uh, vigil are filled? We do such a great job praying. If we're not careful, we do a great job of taking the credit for something we think we did. Isn't that true outside of these walls as well? If we're not careful, we, we, we pull a muscle patting ourselves on the back, giving ourselves an attaboy for things that we think we did when really, initially, and ultimately, and everything in between, it's God who is orchestrating it. And that's the focus of this morning. What does God do when he assembles his people? 
There's five things that I want us just to walk away with. We could probably do 15 or 20, but just five that I want us just to think on uh, this week. The first thing is that when God assembles us, he is glorified. God gathers us to glorify him. Praise is the natural response of redeemed creatures. And this morning, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a redeemed creature. Praise should be the natural outflow, the natural response of those redeemed. Early Christians gathered at the temple. We read this on the, in the beginning pages of Acts. Thank God himself that we no longer offer animal sacrifices when we gather together. But we offer sacrifices of praise, Hebrews chapter 13 tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 reminds us that we do all for the glory of God. Outside these walls individually and inside these walls when we assemble together as a body of believers. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 gives encouragement to all of us because it says that we don't sing just for the people around us, that we, that, but when we sing, we are making melody to the Lord with our hearts. D.A. Carson, who's a, a church leader and author, uh, somebody that I respect and read quite a bit, uh, put it this way very succinctly and very beautifully he, when he says that worship is ascribing all honor and all worth to our creator God precisely and simply because he is worthy. And that's what we do when we assemble. We glorify. That's what God does when he assembles his church together. We glorify him. Now, we do so together as the, the, the assembled church. Psalm, which is often considered the first hymnal, and I think it's bigger than that. I think it's a, a great manual for life. But Psalm gives us ample direction in how to worship with our words and with our hearts. Jeremiah and Lindsay read from Psalm 32. Uh, Tony had spoken word from Psalm 51. Uh, Psalm 32, verse 11 again says, Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 34.3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. 81.1 says, Sing aloud to God our strength. 107.2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And we could go on and on and on. From the, from the Psalms of looking at opportunities and ways to praise and to exalt our Savior. The point is clear. Exaltation is the heartbeat of God's assembled people. Praising him, lifting him high. I want you to consider something this morning. There's a connection between the health of a church and its ability to exalt God. There's a connection between the health of a local church and its ability to exalt God's glory. A lot of churches have health issues because they have heart issues that hinder and block them and their ability to worship God and to give him everything. A church infested with gossip and division will have a tough time setting its focus on God's truthfulness on Sunday mornings. A church with a negligent or heavy-handed leadership will struggle to submit to God's authority. 
a, a church with a consumer mindset will will, will come to watch a show uh, and to uh, will come to watch a show and demand our preferences rather than to participate in the worship of their redeeming King. A church that tolerates serious outward non-repentant sin is in danger of ignoring God's holiness rather than delighting in it. The opposite of this truth is, is true as well. Churches that challenge unholiness by discipleship and discipline realize something about God's love. In short, the healthier a church, the more God-centered its worship will be. The connection between health and God's glory goes the other direction too. Corporate worship should mold a congregation into a people more and more ravished by the beauty of God's love. Each Sunday should reorient us and reorient our, way, our wayward course back to where it needs to be toward God. Let me put it another way. We become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. If we serve idols, we will end up like them. Powerless, purposeless, and worthless. I had originally intended for this just to be a note in my, in my sermon notes because I, I put notes in there of scripture references. One, because I want to make sure I am sticking to this when I stand before you, anytime I stand before you. But also I want to be ready in case Caleb comes and says, Tony, you said this, where does that come from? I want to be able to tell him where that comes from in God's word. So I had a note there from Psalm 115 uh, verse 8. Uh, and I was, it was just in reference to what I just said. But this morning as I was reading over my notes and I, as I, I turned to Psalm 15 and just read through this, it convicted me. So I want to, to pause and just go to Psalm 115 and read it with you. God is talking about his name being deserving of glory. In verse number 3 of Psalm 115, it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And then he flip-flops the attention to other people. He says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. Feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throats. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. We become like who we worship. So the question that I wrote in the, the margin of my Bible for me is who do I want to look like? Do I want to look like a worthless, useless, powerless idol? Do I want to follow that to my destruction? Or do I want to follow after God, the giver of all? He does all that he pleases. In verse 9, he, he, he wraps up this, this, this psalm uh, stanza uh, with, in a beautiful way. And it can become a model for us to pray. And I encourage, for it, encourage, encourage you for it to be a model for your prayers this week. He says in verse 9, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Notice what he does, what the author does. He starts big, brings it down small. Israel, trust God. House of Aaron, trust God. You, trust God. 
What would happen if the churches that claim Jesus Christ as their Savior in this country alone would pray this prayer? United States, trust the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Mid-Ohio Valley, churches of the Mid-Ohio Valley, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Tony Foreman, Craig Hart, Scott McClure, Randy Sturm, trust in the Lord. He is your help. He is your shield. Imagine what we would do if we would just pray and focus our energy on him rather than all the stuff that we fall down to daily. That part was free. But imagine, I mean, what a beautiful picture and reinforcer of the phrase, we look like, we become like who we worship. When the faith family beholds the true God through worship assemblies together, characterized by exalting him and him alone, it will become more and more like him. I can speak with assurance for myself, for Scott, for Gretchen, for Katie, for all of our staff, for all of our deacons, that our only agenda for this church is for us to become more like the one that we worship in everything that we do. When we get together, God is exalted. When we assemble, number two, we are built up. Exaltation, that, that first thing that we talked about, that's the vertical dimension to our worship, to our assembly. When we gather, when we assemble, uh, it is for each other being built up. That is the horizontal dimension to our worship. Because as we celebrate, as we lift high our Savior, our God, we are encouraged by being in his presence and in the presence of each other. Both of these, edification, right, edification, exaltation, right, happen at the same time. As we exalt God together, we edify one another together. There are hundreds upon hundreds of hymns written throughout the ages that speak of the exaltation of our Savior. And at the same time, in the same verse, speak of the edification, the building up of the church family. There are beautiful modern-day worship songs that, that, are, that are beautiful, theologically rich reminders that when we assemble, we're exalting and we are edifying. These songs reflect what I believe that we see in Ephesians, where that church there is encouraged to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, we see the vertical and the horizontal on display together. Verse 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. That's edification. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glory, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's exaltation. When we come together, the church family is built up as we lift up high our Savior. We can't separate these two. They are mutually reinforcing. Number three, we've talked about this one before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But when we assemble, when God assembles his church, we are prepared. This is the equipping of the saints that we have talked about quite a bit. 
Now, last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 12, that we are all called and we are gifted in different ways. Some of us are good at this, some of us are good at that. Some of us have a passion for one thing, some have a passion for another. But we are reminded in those verses that all of that giftedness, all of those passions are there for one purpose, for one body to elevate one Lord. When we get together... It's for the equipping of the saints. We think that that takes place uh, on the ground, on the road, uh, repairing uh, somebody's house, serving together, studying together in a small group, and it does. But it also, our corporate assembly is another avenue toward the equipping of the saints. Number four, when we are assembled together, when God pulls his people together, we are charged not changed, it's not, not, a, not a typo. We, we, we are changed when Jesus' spirit enters us. But when we assemble together, we are charged. We are reminded of the mission before the church. Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We are reminded of our mission. We are also reminded uh, where the power of that charge comes from. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. Jesus says, wait, because you can't do this on your own. You need the power of the Spirit. When we assemble, we are reminded that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and empowers us, and we are charged. We are also reminded of the nature of that power given to us by the Holy Spirit. This is made clear in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, where we are reminded that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In those three verses, we are reminded of our mission, and we are charged again and again and again every time we assemble. So quit ignoring the mission. Quit quenching the spirit that has been given to you as a believer, and quit living timidly in your faith, because that's not what God has given you. He's given you a spirit of power. The fifth and final thing, is that when God assembles his people, when God assembles his church, the world sees. This is evangelization. This is the bringing in of lost. I don't know if you've realized or not, it's been happening for several decades, probably longer, but there's this trend, this movement out there, and if you pay attention, it's failing quickly, but there's this trend there that is out there to ensure that our corporate assembly is harmless, that it is warm and fuzzy, that everybody leaves feeling good about themselves, that it's, that it's not offensive. I've learned several things in my seminary journeys, and as I get ready to uh, be done with them and the, the studies in my doctoral and getting ready for my dissertation, one of the things that points out, the main thing that jumps out are those churches who have stayed successful in growing spiritually and numerically are those who have continued to elevate Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of the world. There's a, there's, there's a, there are a lot of churches, and I pray that we are never guilty of this in this local assembly, that are watering down Jesus so he's more acceptable to a lost world. But those churches that are growing constantly, 
over an expended, extended period of time are those who have always preached the Jesus of the Bible. Not a watered-down version, not a culturally or politically correct gospel, but the God, the Savior, and the gospel that we see in Scripture. We, we've sung a song since we were this big. Jesus loves me. This I know. Jesus loves you. I know this, and you know what else? He loves you too much to allow you to wallow and struggle in your sin. Jesus loves you, and he knows where you are headed without him. Jesus loves you, and he left heaven to come here for you, to rescue you. The world does not need a watered-down, a dumbed-down version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world is going to hell unless it is introduced to the one Savior of their souls. And Jesus does not fit nicely into a box. He's not, he, he doesn't fit into a seeker-friendly or a culturally acceptable framework. Jesus was offensive when he walked this planet physically. Jesus is equally offensive in 2022. But that's the Jesus that took nails in his wrists for sinners. That's the Jesus that had his back ripped apart for those dead. That's the Jesus that was spat upon and cursed and mocked and brutally murdered. Why? Because he knew that that was the only way to rescue you. Now, I want you to listen, pay attention. I, want you, I don't want you to say I said something that I didn't say. Now, we better make sure that as a body of believers, that we are explaining the gospel in understandable terms. We have, we have to make sure we're doing that. But God forgive us and God strike this pastor down if we ever cheapen Jesus by trying to make him less offensive. Now, we better be ready to love. But we need to be ready to love the way Jesus loved. We need to be ready to wrap our arms around those who are hurting and to move them into the grace of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wholeheartedly agree that our church assemblies need to be evangelistic, but by God's standards, not the world's. God calls us to be evangelistic when we assemble, not by watering things down, but by elevating him and encouraging the body. He does the work. I don't pretend to understand everything about my Savior. I don't pretend to understand everything about my Creator. But He has promised us through His Word that He does the work of saving. And when His church is faithful in exalting Him, that's going to happen. When the church is faithful about making much of Him, that's going to happen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul gives us a, a, a taste because they're talking about all these things that happen in the worship assembly. But Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among them. The point of Paul's, the, Paul's point in this chapter is to convince the Corinthians that teaching of God, that exalting of God is more edifying than other giftedness in the assembly. Why? Because if somebody gets up here and starts to speak in tongues, 
who understands nobody unless there's somebody present to interpret. If somebody gets up and shares, prophesies, teaches, who understands? Hopefully, everybody in the room. And Paul is saying through that exaltation, through that preaching, through that prophesying of Jesus Christ, the people will be saved. He desires the entire church to be built up. He also envisions that the outsider enters into the meeting in the verse we just read. He hears or overhears the sound of Christians singing and sharing and witnessing and prophesying in order to exalt God and in order to build each other up. And when this person hears, Scripture tells us that something changes within him. God changes something within him. Exaltation, praising God, building up the family, edification, are not at odds with evangelism. They are the very means to the same thing. They all work together. They're exactly what God uses to convert unbelievers in our midst. How? Well, we would better make sure that our, God, that our, our assemblies are gospel-focused. We better not go very long at all without talking about Jesus Christ and all that he does, all that he is. When we, we know that we assemble by his grace, we better be praying for God to reveal himself and to grant new life to the spiritually dead. And the, uh, the assembly better stand as a countercultural example to who and what can save you. Jesus alone saves. God intends our corporate worship to provoke the watching world. Our gatherings are not only to proclaim the gospel, they are, dis- they are a display of a God-centered, spirit-driven people that give a foretaste of a new creation. God made us his people. We, as we've talked about in this series, are an outpost of his kingdom, the temple of his spirit, and the body of his son Jesus. He assembles us by his grace. When we assemble, God powerfully works among us to bring about his own exaltation and our edification. He uses our assembly to bring out and develop our giftedness, and he uses our assemblies to recharge us for the mission and the task at hand. And as he does, as the local church exalts and edifies, a watching world sees. And by his grace, he brings, he brings new believers into this household. They join in giving glory to God and in doing good with the saints and spreading the gospel to a broken world. So this week, I'm going to challenge you. I've been challenging you for a couple weeks now to, to devote Hebrews 10, 23, 24, 25 to memory. The one sheet will help you with that again. I want you to remember uh, also, I'm just going to put some, question, some uh, things out there for you to consider. First of all, How does your perspective on the assembly need to change? Related to that, this one's free. It's not on the screen. But how does your prioritization of the assembly need to change? Is it something that we squeeze in when we can? Or is it something that we have circled and starred on our calendars? How does your attitude on the assembly need to change? Last week, I challenged you to set the tone. Because if, you have a, if you're a parent and you have children, and a grandparent and you have children and, and grandchildren, you're being watched. 
and how you approach and, and, and how you and your attitude towards the gathering is infectious. Those around you are going to see you. They are watching you. If you dread getting up on Sunday morning, they're going to dread getting up on Sunday morning. If coming together as a body of believers is second, third, fourth, tenth on your list of priorities, it's going to be second, third, fourth, tenth on their list of priorities as well. Set the tone. How does your attitude on the assembly need to change? And then next week, as we meet together at, as one church in one room, because we will not have the 845 service next week, it will all be right here because we're wrapping up uh, our, our prayer chain for the U- Ukraine, and Andy's going to update us on that in just a second. Um, but it, we, as we are all assembled here, we are going to focus on how we prepare for the assembly. We think our job is solely to get up, get dressed, and show up and sit down in our seats. I'm going to challenge you next week. There's a little bit more to that because it's not just what happens on the stage, in the pulpit, in the sound booth, behind a video camera that makes a Sunday morning go. It's all of us preparing ourselves for the worship of our Savior together. If you're a believer, that's my challenge for you this week. If you are here this morning and you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, this guy that we talk about, this king that we talk about, and and, and we say that, that he is the only way for us. If you haven't put your faith in him, I pray that today is that day. I pray that today is the day that you put your faith in the one who left heaven to come here for you, that lived a life, a perfect life for you because you couldn't do it, and then willingly went to death on a cross, a death that you and I deserve every single day, but he took that punishment as the final sacrifice for our sins. And he died for us. And he didn't stay dead for us. He walked out of a tomb three days later, defeating sin and death forever. And if you haven't put your faith in that king, in that savior, exchange whatever a pitiful substitute you've been using for King Jesus. He alone saves you. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Make today your day of salvation.